We're carrying on our series on the book of Hebrews, and uh, we've been going through it for about six weeks now, and we're going to end up finishing at the end of August. And as many of us know, this whole series is, is about Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the so-called some celebrity Old Testament characters of Abraham and Moses and others as well. Uh, Jesus is greater than these prophets. And Jesus is also greater than this whole world in terms of everything this good this world offers, but also everything negative this world offers. He's better than and greater than anything that life throws at us. He is greater. And the book of Hebrews is really challenging us in two ways. Number one is to elevate Jesus as more superior. And number two is to stay faithful towards Jesus. So as I said before, I'm speaking on Jesus is our guarantor. So if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18. Jesus chapter 7, verse 18. As you're going to find that in your Bible, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this this great high priest. The high priest uh, was the one, one day a year, and it was called the Day of the Atonement. He would go into the tabernacle, and he would firstly, he would sacrifice an animal, more likely a goat or a boar, and basically as the blood spilled, it was it was a sign, and it was uh, of the forgiveness that he, that priest received, and as he did that, he went into the next, he went through a curtain, and he would enter this other place, and there was the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God dwelled, and he would sacrifice uh, goats and boars for on behalf of the other people, and he he would uh, do that, as I said, one day every year. And as we've been studying that, actually the spiritual condition of earth is no different to those of the Old Testament. The sinfulness of man and the holiness of God are still polar opposites. And instead of needing to go into the tabernacle and to sacrifice animals, one has come, he's become the great high priest, Jesus Christ, and he sacrificed himself. And last week, we, we looked at Hebrews chapter 6, and there was this guy called Melchizedek who jumped up on it. Just randomly, it said that, he would, that Jesus would be in the order of Melchizedek. And the only time in the Bible that talks about Melchizedek is Genesis chapter 12. And Genesis chapter 12 is when Abraham wants to go and rescue Lot, and he, he sends a team of servants to go and rescue him. And as they rescue Lot and other prisoners at the same time, uh, he's walking back, basically. And Abraham, he sees this guy called Melchizedek, who's a priest, and he says, I'm going to give you 10% of everything I, give, I own to you. But Melchizedek's a really interesting character, as I said last week, because he... He, he is one that is not listed in the genealogy in Genesis. Genesis is a genealogical book, and oft, uh, more times than often, every, most characters in that time were listed in that book. For example, it said, like, Noah lived this many years, he had this many children, and then he died. And we get that repeated again and again, but Melchizedek is not listed. It doesn't really show him have a beginning or an end. The second thing that's interesting about Melchizedek is his name. His name literally means righteousness, king of righteousness. And where was his kingdom? 
his kingdom was in Shalom, which is the same root word as Shalom, which means peace. So Melchizedek was the king of righteousness, who was the, who, who was the king of the kingdom of peace. And this is why the writer says that Jesus is in the same order as Melchizedek. Because as Melchizedek doesn't have a beginning and an end uh, in terms of his genealogy, so does Jesus. He has no beginning, no end. And the same as Melchizedek is the king of righteousness, of a kingdom of peace, so is Jesus. So we get to Hebrews chapter 7. Let's read it together, verse 18. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, open bracket, for the law made nothing perfect, close bracket, comma, and a better hope is introduced. I won't do that the whole way through, don't worry. By which we draw near to God, and it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests, since death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lived forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. So what is actually going on here? Well, firstly, on one hand, you've got, in many ways, the old covenant. And the writer is saying that you have the practices, the rituals, the rules, the regulations. And that is the way they came to draw near to God. But on the other hand, you have Jesus, who is our guarantor. On this hand, which is the rules and regulations, the writer says, and he's not beating around the bush on this point, it was weak and useless. It said the law made nothing perfect. Because they were earthly priests, they couldn't make an oath or a promise to us. But on the other hand, Jesus, he can make an oath. He can make a promise. He keeps his promises. He never changes his mind. And it says, the Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And because Jesus keeps his promises and he's the high priest, he has become our guarantor. Let's just think about this word guarantor for a minute. What is a guarantor? I expect many of us know what a guarantor is, but I'll remind us. A guarantor is a person who guarantees to pay a borrower's debt in the event a borrower defaults on a loan obligation. A guarantor is someone who becomes responsible for something else in an event or a debt. So say if, if you had a debt and I was your guarantor, this is not going to happen by the way, just to let you know. Well, maybe it will, maybe it will. But if you had a debt and I was your guarantor, and for some reason you could not pay your payment, I will be reliable, I will be, it will be me who has to pay your payments if you do not pay them. I become your insurance policy. So that if you could not pay your debt. See, it was 50 years today 
Many of us know what happened. It was actually today, 3.26 our time, uh, 3.56, sorry, 3.56 a.m. our time on July the 21st, Neil Armstrong, he walks out his um, spacecraft and uh, he makes the step and it's streaming throughout the world in television sets. And he says this, one small step for man is one giant leap for mankind. That's my American accent, by the way. <laughs> but that's what he did 50 years today. And actually, going to the moon, it was, the, it was an historical and an unbelievable event. And the spacecraft, Apollo 11, it was at cutting edge in 1969. Did you know that the computer on the Apollo 11 was worse than your smartphone? Your smartphone is better computer than that was on the Apollo 11 that took them to space. It was actually more like a scientific calculator. Crazy, right? Did you know that the Apollo 11 was so flimsy that if you pushed it, it would fall over? Because they worked out that in space there is no pressure or gravity, so it didn't need to be strong. See, I heard this story the other day, and it was uh, Mark, and Mark Armstrong, Neil's son. He was six years old when his dad went up into the moon. And uh, days before uh, Neil was due to go, uh, Mark remembered his dad calling the whole family into the dining room. And they would never go into the dining room. It was, he said, I think he said he'd only ever been in there twice before. It was seen as a room for important things. But he calls his whole family into the dining room. This is a six-year-old boy who didn't really know what was going on. And he calls them all in, and he says to his uh, whole family, he says this. He says, I'm about to go to the moon. I might not make the moon probably 50-50 chance, but he says, I will be back. I don't know if you know this, but in 1969, the astronauts could not find anyone who would give them life insurance. So this is what they did. They wrote hundreds of letters and gave them to their family and friends. And as they wrote these letters, they signed them at the bottom. Each one of them did this. Neil, Buzz, and Michael. And they said, if we do not make it back, salve those letters. Those will become our insurance policy. And in the 90s, 1990s, one did actually salve for $30,000. They did make it back, though. See, for Neil, Buzz, and Michael, their insurance policy was in hundreds of letters. But for us, our insurance policy is in Jesus. Jesus is our guarantor. See, we all had a debt to pay. And we couldn't no longer pay for it through the rules and regulations that we should be following. But we needed someone else, Jesus. We needed Jesus. What is our debt? Our debt is that we've chosen to live close to God. We've chosen to live a relationship far away from God. But the question is, what is your debt? Where have you chosen to live your life close to, 
God. Even today, there's probably areas in our lives that we are choosing to live close to God. The Bible says this, but when it comes to eternal life, all those who believe in Jesus Christ are assured of eternal life. God's policy of insurance is that we will inherit the kingdom, not on my merit or your merit, but on solely the work of Jesus Christ. And it says in Isaiah 49, 16, that our names are inscribed on the palm of his hand. He has become our guarantor. Not what you do, not what I do, but because of our trust and relationship with Jesus. I've got many problems in life, as probably most of us in this room, if we admit them. But one of my problems is, is that keeping up with culture these days. I'm still young. This is where you say yes, Tim, and nod your head. I am still young. But young people are using words that I just don't get anymore. For example, right, play with this one, you are sick. Have you heard that word? You are so sick. See, if someone came up to me and said, you are sick, I'd be like, no, I'm well, thanks, I'm pretty healthy. But their meaning, you are awesome. Here's another one for you. You are so bad. You're so bad. Has anyone ever said that to you? It means you're good. It means you're really good uh, a person. It's the opposite way as well. We always say when we don't like something, it's awful. And we use it as a negative today. But actually, years ago, it was a, pos- it was a positive. Awful, full of all. Awesome comes from the same word. They used to say, that is awful, meaning something awesome. You know, you see something amazing, awful. You know, we changed words. And culture has changed words. Words even change depending on the culture you go to. See, I love the Americans. I really do because I think they're amazing. But they've got the English a bit mixed up. If you go to America, you could say they're a bit simplistic. If you go to America and you want to walk on a pavement, you need to walk on the sidewalk. They couldn't fully get that a pavement's a pavement, so it's like, let's just call it sidewalk. You know what I mean? Or this is another word they've changed up. Glasses. Do you know what they call glasses? Eyeglasses. Really, they do. Because they couldn't work out where to put their glasses, so they said, we'll call it eyeglasses. It's another one for you, which they talk about. Do you know what squash is in America? Racquetball, yeah, racquetball, racquetball. What do we need to do with the ball? Racket, racket. You know, they have this simplistic everything. It's quite funny. I've got a couple more for you. These are funny. You know, uh, do you know what a bin is in America? Waste paper bin, basket. It's like, I can't call it a bin. I need to put my waste paper in the basket, not my normal paper, my waste paper. You know, simplistic. Another one, lastly, horse riding. Horseback riding, yeah, that's it, horseback riding. You know, it's like, it's like they've got to add a few more words so you get it. I love the pavement one, sidewalk. It's like, what is with this pavement? It's a sidewalk. Anyway, but, but words change throughout culture, and words change depending on which culture you go to. And the beauty thing about Jesus and this passage is trying to say to us is that Jesus never changes. It says in verse 23, Now there's been many of those priests since death 
prevented them from continuing office. But Jesus lives forever and he is permanent. He has a permanent priesthood. He is permanent and lasts forever. He says he's not like the other priests. You know, the other priests in the Old Testament, on this hand, they will die. They cannot continue office. He's not like a football manager who does a couple of years and then they say, you're not good enough and gets sacked. He's not like your boss at work, maybe, that is here one day and has moved jobs the next day. He's not even like our prime minister who goes for a few years in office and then gets forced out. I'll make no more comments there. But Jesus, he is now and forever in office. He is the boss of the office. See, from his office, he rules with power. He rules with authority. He rules with justice, love. And it's all for the sake of our freedom. And it's permanent and it's forever. And God makes this promise. I will rule in my office. And we know God keeps his promises. Do you know the one thing God cannot do? The one thing God cannot do. It's impossible for God to not keep his promises. That is the only thing I think God cannot do. He can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. He can do something like that. But he cannot go against his own promises. He has chosen us. He has brought us with a price of his own life. He has redeemed us. He's rescued us. He's blessed us. He's given everything for us. And he will remain in this office forevermore from generation to generation. And this is why Jesus is our guarantor. Because actually he's going to stay there in office. And he has rescued us. He's saved us. And we come from a place of being saved. At the moment in my own personal time, I'm going through the book of Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 3, which I read a couple of days ago, in Joshua chapter 3, it's about when uh, Moses is dead, Joshua's taken over the leadership to lead the people into the promised land, into Israel from Egypt. And they're close to Egypt. And he sends out, Joshua sends out a few spies, and they go to um, the prostitute's house, Rahab's house. And as they go to Rahab's house, uh, she hides some whilst they're spying out the land. But the, the spies, they return back to Joshua and they, they tell Joshua everything that's going on in Israel. And then Joshua says to the people, tomorrow, tomorrow we are going to go to a new place. We're going to somewhere. He says, prepare yourself tomorrow for God is going to do great things among you. So they prepare themselves, and then they get to the River Jordan. And do you know what happens at the River Jordan? It says the waters coming down from above stood up and rose up in a heap very far away. Literally what happens is the waters gather up, and they pile up, and then God places it in a heap so that people could walk across the Jordan to get to Israel. See, for us, we remember the departing of the Red Sea. And we, we often quote it. But actually, God has been faithful and does so many miracles from generation to generation. Often we don't remember these kind of ones. I don't know why that is, but we don't. 
for, could you imagine if a, the whole sea was piled up? To me, that is just a miracle just as much as the Red Sea. And then in our lives, God does so many wonders amongst us because he remains faithful from every generation to generation and he is permanent in his office. We are so used to people making promises and not keeping to them, aren't we? Politicians, bosses, colleagues, even our own friends and family. They say they'll do something and they never do it. And it's really hard. But in God, we have someone who's faithful to us, who will keep his promises. He will stay in his office as the one who has saved us and rescued us and protected us. If he never changes, his love never fails. See, the oath that made through Jesus was solely for the benefit of us, so that we could rest in the covenant that Jesus secures us. A couple of weeks ago, I, was, uh, I needed to get some petrol. And I think I was going uh, for a meeting to a meeting, so I quickly popped into Fleet Street. Uh, you know, Tesco Fleet Street, petrol station. And as I, as I drove in, I did what most people who are collecting petrol do. We, we go through a, a unconsciously, or subconsciously, we go through, subconsciously, not unconsciously, subconsciously, we go through a series of questions to work out which tube's going to be quicker. We literally, we, we take our eyes and we, we gradually go through each person. There's eight pumps. We go through each eight pumps and we, we work out, is this person going to be longer than someone else? And we subconsciously ask questions like, are, are they going to go into the shop or are they going to pay at the pump? How far, how long, well, I'm trying to work out how long they're going to be there. You even subconsciously go through the thing, are they young or old? I think we do. To see if they're going to be quick or not quick. That's not meant to be offensive to anyone. But we subconsciously make a series of questions and we get some answers and then our mind works out, this one's going to be the quickest. And we get in that queue. And so I did that subconsciously. I went in there and it's called a game of refueling your car, by the way. But you go into this game of refueling your car. You go in there. I went in there and, uh, and next thing I know, I, I, was, I made the wrong decision, basically. But the next thing I know is this man jumps out the car and then his, this lady jumps out, which I presume is his wife or partner. And they were so slow. Like, I really mean they were so slow. And I literally, I, I, I'm not talking about anyone else here, by the way, but they were so slow. And I, I literally thought to myself, is this like a day out for them? I've got things to go to. I think I was meeting someone after that, and I was probably was late for it. I was like, this is so slow. I even thought this is like a date day for them or something. This is so slow. And it was like, you know, and do you know what dawned on me in that moment? There was me rushing around, and there was them enjoying putting some petrol in their car. And actually, they were enjoying life. You know, even if it was a day out for them as a couple, filling up their car, fair play to them. They're enjoying life where I'm rushing around from that thing to the next. And, you know, we get into John chapter 3 and this man called Nicodemus, which many of us have heard of him. Nicodemus was a, was a, uh, a teacher of the law. He knew the law in John chapter 3. He actually he, he knew the two, over 2,000 laws, and he was probably in his mid-80s. He's been teaching these laws for most of his life. He would have grew up as a Jew. 
And he goes up to Jesus and says, what do I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says to him, it's about trusting and believing in me. It's not about what you do. Even Jesus summarized the whole laws by loving God and loving your neighbors yourself. See, I think too many Christians, mainly in the West, are doing the Christian life. They've become set in their routines. It's a nice Christian life where actually we are called to love and enjoy Jesus. We can enjoy Jesus. My question to you is, do you enjoy Jesus? Do you enjoy spending time with him? Do you get excited about what he's doing in your life? John Piper says this, if God is your gold, he will be your gladness. If God is your treasure, he will be your pleasure. See, Christianity was, was and is always about relationships. And I feel that in our day and age, especially in the UK, that Christianity in many ways is often come a religion where we're not just enjoying Jesus and enjoying life, we're doing the Christian life. And this is what the Hebrew writer is trying to say to us. On one hand, you've got the laws and the routines and the rituals, but on the other hand, you've got Jesus as your guarantor. He is in his office forever, and now you can love him and love life and enjoy life. You don't need to worry about the other stuff. But letting go can be scary. Maybe it's letting go how you've always done your Christian faith. I always do it this way. I'll read my Bible this way. I do this this way. Maybe it's letting go of hurts and pains and unforgiveness. Or it's letting go of other things in our life. See, for some of us, enjoying Jesus and enjoying life is about making the decision to enjoy my life again. It's a conscious, intentional, and determined decision to say I'm going to start enjoying my life no matter who or what tries to stop me. And that doesn't mean going wild and doing crazy things. But it's about having joy and choosing joy. See, let's think for a moment. When God start, uh, made the world and before sin entered the world, God decided to make this earth. Animals, plants, food. And then he created man and woman to enjoy this earth and enjoy this life and enjoy each other. And that's what it's about. It's about enjoying Jesus and enjoying life to its fullness. John 10.10. 10 says this. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and I have come to give Jesus and life and life in the fullness. Do you enjoy Jesus? Do you enjoy him and the life he's given you? Christianity was never about what your religion. It's so easy. We can say, well, we're not religious like those Jews in those days. We're not following, you know, doing their rituals. You know, we're not cutting up animals. But we have our own routines. Oh, uh, you know, I do this on this day. Oh, I do my Christian life like this. Well, actually, we are secure now 
to live as enjoying Jesus and enjoying life. He says Jesus is in his office. No one's going to take him out. You, you are saved if you believe in him. You are forgiven and you can enjoy Jesus. You can enjoy life. Yes, you might have some good habits in life. But you can enjoy life. I want to conclude with this. It says this. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. This is the last verse. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, Jesus has come to save us. And if you draw near to God, he will save you. And that is the good news of the gospel. And then it says, he's always lived to intercede for you. For you. Uh, just imagine one person. Imagine the, per- the, the person you know that is the best person of praying. Who do you know who's the best person at praying? The person who's the best at praying in your life. And then they're praying all about you. Okay, take that person, and Jesus is doing that all the time for you. It's crazy. Right now, Jesus is interceding, praying on your behalf for you. When you start to think about it, you think it's crazy. Day and night, Jesus is praying for you. Tim, you know, you've got this tweet sorted. I'm with you on this. Tim, after this, you're doing this. I'm with you. I'm praying for you. Go for it. Go for it. Enjoy me. I'm with you. I'm here. I'm there. You know, he's doing that for you. We all know someone in our lives that they're just a prayer warrior. And when they say to you, I've been praying for you, it gives you so much encouragement. I want to say to you this morning, Jesus is praying on your behalf. He is there. He always lives to make intercession for them or for you. See, as we draw near to God, we are saved. Jesus is not going to leave his office. And you can enjoy Jesus and enjoy life. There is no rules of how you enjoy Jesus in many ways. You know, I don't encourage smoking pot and then enjoying Jesus, obviously. But if we love God, if we love God, we can enjoy Jesus. We can enjoy the life. Well, God, what do you want to do today? What do you get to the morning and say, God, you know, what do you want to do? What are you going to do in my life today, God? How many times have you asked that yourself? What are you going to do in my life today? This life never changes, but Jesus will never fail you. I want to pray for us. And actually, when I was praying this week, and uh, those things I said about people have got to let go of stuff, you know, this is earlier, I felt one thing actually, I felt from God about there's someone in this room that needs to let go of unforgiveness. And I'll be at the back when we're going to sing our couple of songs in a minute. And if you're that person, I would love to pray for you. Or come, if you don't want to do it then, come and grab me uh, after the service. You know, I would really love to pray. I really felt God said there's someone in this room that needs uh, just to give him his, their unforgiveness. And I would love to pray for you in that. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you've called us not to live by rules and regulations. But you've called us to enjoy you, to love life. Because you've given us life in the fullness. And sometimes life is hard. But it's a choice to say, I'm going to enjoy you and enjoy life. And I pray that you would, even as we sing some songs now, you reveal to us what we need to let go, what has become the rules and regulations in our lives. 
so we can do and enjoy life fully. Thank you, Lord God. Amen.